Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast all about the business of startups, where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex, and this is our Wednesday show where we sit down with a guest, think about their work, and then unpack the rest. But before we get to our guest today, I have once again tagged in my dear friend, it's Marianne Azevedo. Marianne, hi, hello, and as the children's song goes, how are you? I'm doing great, Alex. Happy to be here today, and how are you? Well, I'm getting rained on here in the Northeast, and I'm still kind of like getting over my emotional trauma for my seven-month-old screaming all the way from PDX to BOS. So uh, yeah. I'm a little raw, you might say. That will take yeah. a while to recover from all that. Give me another week. And our guest today is Dominic Midori Davis, the co-host of TechCrunch's Found podcast, one of my co-workers, and I'll just say one of TechCrunch Plus's absolute finest. Dom, welcome to the show. And I do hear that you are in New York City, so there are some sirens in the background. Hey, I'm good. How are you? You know, hanging in there. I love when we do these kind of podcast crossover things because I get to kind of say nice things about your show. Dom, Found is fantastic. How often does it come out and where can people find it? Oh, okay. It comes out every Tuesday. And it's on Apple. You know, you can also just go to the website to our little post and it'll lead you to all the right links to come listen to us. And what does Found cover that makes it different from what people may know here on Equity? We talk to founders about not just their businesses, but also the people behind the businesses and the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. Yeah, kind of a founder's saga show, if you will. Well, here we kind of riff more on numbers and kind of newsy events. It's fantastic. You record it with Rebecca Skutak from the TechCrunch Plus team. And uh, if you haven't listened to the show, you really should. It is well worth your time. But Don, we are not here just to talk about how much we love podcasting. We are here because there is some relatively big news, I would say, in the world of venture. And it relates to one of your areas of coverage. And we have to kind of talk about Fearless Fund and this lawsuit. So just to set the stage a little bit, can you tell us about Fearless Fund itself and what it's trying to do? And then we'll break into what happened recently. Yes. So Fearless Fund was founded in 2019 with the sole purpose of funding women of color, which I mean, obviously the data is horrific. Like women get like 2% of all venture capital funds. And, you know, when you break that down by race, I mean, the most known is black founders get like 1% in any given year. And so they have like the sole purpose of doing just that. And it's really interesting because a few weeks ago, where I guess like in June, we covered that they just raised, they wouldn't share the number, but they just raised a multi-million dollar kind of add on to their fund to from like MasterCard and Costco, which there's a funding in that. But they also announced with that raise that they were going to continue on their grant program and some of their events. And so that was the announcement that came out two months ago, which kind of leads us to today. Mm. Right. But before we get into that, Marianne, I feel like you and I have been writing the same story at like the last couple of jobs we've done together. And it's what Dom just outlined. Like, hey, look at the venture capital numbers. Women raised $48 and black women raised $3. Like it's, goddamn. I know. It's very, very frustrating because, yes, exactly. We've been writing about this topic for years now, at least six. And you would think, you would think as the years go by, we'd see some kind of increase, some kind of improvement. And unfortunately, that is not the case. And it's it's very discouraging. It is. Depressing, even. Dom, have the numbers gotten worse now that we're kind of out of the last venture cycle? I haven't looked at them as much as I should in the last quarter or two. Are we seeing a, a regression or are we seeing kind of stabilization in those numbers? Well, for all women founding teams, the numbers have dipped slightly. Okay. Mixed gender teams are doing much better. Like they get a lot more funding than all women teams. For black founders, that's not the case. Funding has dipped this quarter. And yeah, it's just, it's just, it's not getting 
better, but it's also, it's like business as usual. Like it's not better, but not worse necessarily. Yeah, the old unch, as we say in the stock market. (laughs) And this brings us to what Fearless Fund is trying to do. They have a grant program that awards $20,000 to black women who are small business owners. And they do this, I think it's four times per year. So Dom, how impactful is this program and how much money do you think they're actually putting into the market? Well, I'm not sure on the details of how much they put into the market, but I do know that I believe that they have like their fund too, I believe is a little more than 50 million or they didn't give us numbers, but I'm estimating because they said that they wanted to double fund one and fund one was publicly announced. So uh, I'm assuming it's around 50 million. I do know that this is really, really impactful because a lot of funding that a lot of people of color get in the industry or a lot of people from marginalized communities, they have to depend on grants because they don't get venture funding. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of filling that gap. Okay, I got it. So essentially, this is a way to step into what is a a kind of a hole in the market and at least partially fill it, providing access to capital to founders that may be otherwise overlooked by the traditional venture capital scene. Okay, so I'm listening to this. I'm thinking the venture market kind of famously inequitable along certain axes. People are stepping up to the plate, try to make things a little bit better, a little bit more fair. And then this leads us to the newsy bit, which is that some people are opposed to what Fearless Fund is doing. So, Don, what is the latest on the legal opposition to what seems to be a relatively anodyne and reasonable effort? There is so much to unpack here. Okay, so it was announced that the American Alliance for Equal Rights is suing Fearless Fund for racial discrimination for saying that this $20,000 grant program excludes basically non-Black people. And the details within that is that the American Alliance for Equal Rights, I'm not sure if there's an abbreviation, so I'm just like, I don't know if I say the whole name. A-A-E-R. The A-A-E-R was founded by Edward Bloom, who's most known for the guy who just helped overturn affirmative action. And so he basically goes around founding these little random organizations with the sole purpose, it seems, of suing entities that have what he calls like race conscious policies. And so this one he's created, the American Alliance for Equal Rights. I think Reuters reported that there's about 60 members and he founded this and he says that this grant program is excluding white and Asian Americans, I guess, within his group or something. I'm trying to explain this the best I can. He's trying to sue on behalf of the white and Asian American members of his group, saying that the grant program excludes them from the grant. And when I reached out for comment asking, well, like, why did you choose Fearless Fund to sue? He told me that a woman-owned business reached out to him asking for help to challenge this grant. And he's suing them based on Section 1981 of the Civil Rights Act, which a law professor pointed out to me was enacted six months after, like, slavery was abolished. Like, this is an old act. (laughs) That act states that private contracts must be made and enforced without regards to race. And so he's saying that this violates that. It's it's pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it technically, I guess, you know, he has a point. But, I mean, this is a, a very old law, as you say. And the first word that, that strikes me when I hear about all this is petty. Petty. Right, this feels very petty. And, you know, we're not... I mean, we're not even talking like huge amounts of of money here. I mean, it's a $20,000 grant. And I think another thing that frustrates me about this is that how much money is Fearless Fund going to have to spend on legal fees to deal with this? You know, this is just, it's only going to 
impact their progress as an organization in terms of time, money, you know, their resources overall trying to defend something like this. It's just, is it really necessary? It's not. There's one point I wanted to just say, because I spoke to, his name is Gregory Schell. Gregory Schell, I believe he's a law professor at the University of Iowa. And he pointed out something to me when I spoke to him for the story, which was that this act, of course, enacted six months after slavery was abolished. And he said, like, this statue was understood at the time as constructing a market economy that was open for everyone. And obviously, Black individuals were not able to participate in the market economy for multiple reasons in terms of, you know, being blocked and discriminated against. So they created programs like this, like grant programs, to help themselves and get funding and kind of get the leg up Mm -hmm. where they've been kind of discriminated against. And so this guy, Edward Bloom, and the AAER is challenging that effort that, you know, basically Black individuals have made for themselves because they could not participate in this open economy. Or not welcome to. Yes, not welcome to. So hear me out. Let's say that I start Alex Ventures, Inc. And I'm like, we're going to give all of our money to white dudes, but I don't write it down. And I just do that. I would not get in trouble, but if I decide to funnel a, a small amount of money towards founders who are overlooked, and I say it explicitly, that is in legal peril. Well, it just, this, it's, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say, how many funds out there are already doing this in the reverse, but just not being formal about it or not publicly stating that's what they're doing? They're just doing it, but they're not penalized because they're not, they haven't actually formalized it anywhere in writing or or something like that. So they just go on and they do what they do and there's no repercussions for it at all. Like if you look at their numbers and see how many female founders or people of color that they've funded and see that it's either zero or very, very little, there's no consequence for that. So this just, this doesn't feel fair. No, and that's exactly what Gregory Schill pointed out. He said that because how discrimination works in venture is usually really subtle. Mm -hmm. The odds of you being able to turn around and then sue funds that only so happen to back white founders, the odds of you being able to do the same thing are kind of low because it's not like they have something that specifically says like this grant or this funding is for white individuals only like this grant does where it's like only for black women business owners. Just asinine to me, given that we're... It makes me a a little bit annoyed, but I was reading your piece, Dom, about this, and there was some contention that the suit may or may not stand. So I'm curious, based on your conversations with people in the legal field, how likely is Bloom to succeed here? Or Blum? Bloom? Blum? How likely is Blum to succeed here, according to legal people? I mean, that's what everyone is trying to figure out. I was speaking to one lawyer. His name is Thomas Doart, and he was saying how this recent Supreme Court case with affirmative action technically kind of only applies to entities that receive government funding, which would be like universities and stuff. And so this is in the private sector. And so it's kind Mm -hmm. of like Mm -hmm. bringing this fight to the private sector where you know, what does the government, I mean, like, we don't know if Fearless Fund takes government funds, but technically, I mean, if they didn't, this would have to be like a a brand new case, basically. Oh, okay. I didn't think about that. So if Fearless Fund has no government ties, I guess, per se, then this may not even really make sense. Yeah. (laughs) Based on what he's saying or alleging. And he also told me that there were caveats and he mentioned some Supreme Court cases. And one of them he mentioned that was interesting was he said that in the recent affirmative action case, SCOTUS said that it didn't necessarily address military academies and it let stand that diversity may be considered within military academies. And he said that that same reasoning could apply in venture capital, especially considering the blatant 
funding gap. So there is some reason to think that maybe um, Mr. Blum, Bloom, whatever, may fail in his attempt here. But uh, can I just say one thing? Please. Two people have mentioned the reason that we really don't know is because of the way the Supreme Court is set up right now. Mm. Are you trying to tell me, Dom, that when people put people on the Supreme Court, they are not going for just the most clear-headed jurisprudence, but are in fact picking people that align with their own intellectual and philosophical bent? I am not saying anything. I'm saying that Anything could happen with the current makeup of the Supreme Court. Oh, that, look, Dom is being circumspect here. If you're not in the U.S. and you're listening to this, let me help. We have a Supreme Court. People nominate justices. They go to the Senate. And uh, everyone likes to claim that they are appointing people to the Supreme Court who are level-headed and totally clear-minded and non-ideological. And it is always bullshit. And currently, the American Supreme Court is tilted a little bit to the right. And that's why we're seeing a lot of lawsuits, I think, come up because people want to test things, get them sent up upstairs, effectively in a legal sense. And that way they can hopefully kind of get legal precedent set by the Supreme Court that is in their favor. Hence the affirmative action lawsuit that we discussed earlier. So the timing of this isn't random, I would say, Mm -hmm. even if it is petty, small-minded, and spiteful. Just to throw my two cents on that. And if you don't like that, too bad. Yeah, it doesn't feel random at all. And I, I feel like he's thinking, well, if I was able to do this, then I should be able to do that. Yes. And it, there's also another note. The funding disparities here are so unlike others. Basically, he said that the Supreme Court rejected the argument that a violation of the 1989 Civil Rights Act could be made out of proof of disparate impact. And he went on to say that funds can use the no disparate impact argument and simply fund a higher percentage of black women founders and other minority founders. Yeah. So that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, all right, all right, cool. So if you can fund only one group of people, if you just don't say you're going to do it, then we can probably use that tactic here. Well, we very broadly, the industry wants to. So you could, for example, put together a fund and call it the totally not very particular fund and then only fund black women, as long as you're not saying on the 10 that you are. Yeah. It it feels like a semantic difference. I mean, it does. And it's kind of, it's kind of just BS because you are, it's sort of discouraging that sort of action or behavior of like, okay, well, we can't be formally explicit about what we want to do here. But since people might come out and try to sue us, we'll just have to do what the other funds are doing. And that is set up our funds and then just invest in who we want to. Because that's exactly what's going on, right? Like all these other firms and funds are, they're just investing in who they want. And and very often, like one thing that I think in our industry, in the venture industry, I mean, there's no accountability at all, right? There's no do they even have to firms like show, okay, this is how many, do they break it down? Like this is how many underrepresented founders we've backed or is there any of that anywhere? I mean, do they just get to, is it a free for all? They can do whatever they want. I mean, it's a free for all, Marianne. I don't think there's required reporting on that data that I'm aware of. At least Dom, do you know of anything in the U.S. that would fit that bill? That requires people to report on their data? No, I mean, right? The answer is no. This is private market stuff, so it's pretty opaque. Mm-hmm. That's what people are fighting for right now. Right. Yeah. But so it feels like then, as I said earlier, that Fearless Fund is being penalized because they're kind of sort of moving in that direction a little bit here in, in one way with this offering a grant to a specific you know, subset of people or founders. So that's what drives me really nuts about this. It's not like Fearless Fund is saying, everyone else has to change what they're doing. They're saying, okay, here's where things are. The data, as we talked about at the top of the show, is very clear, it's stark, and it's not changing. So they said, okay, we found an inequity, we'll try to plug it, and they're getting slapped with what it feels like a stunt lawsuit by a jackass. I mean, it's just, it's just, 
Who wakes up in the morning and goes, this small effort to give small checks to black black women, that's what I'm going to spend my time trying to take down today. Well, you, yeah. you know, wow. the Financial Times did a profile on Blum, and basically it revealed that this is his life's mission of going after entities that have policies like this. He's also created another organization with the sole purpose of suing to get rid of diversity on boards, like to push back on that effort. Like this is oh, his wow. life's mission. Uh, which is actually kind of scary. Well, it's also very sad to me because, you know, the fact that we need to even do that is sad, right? Like that we need to try to implement like these, I don't, and I hate, it's not the word quota, but just efforts to encourage more representation, right? And so we have to do that because unfortunately, in a lot of cases or in many cases, boards or firms or funds are not really representative of like this country in terms of the population, right? We see very much of the same, especially in venture, we see white males over and over and over again, either investing or raising money. And so like if if it were a white male organization saying, okay, we're giving these $20,000 grants only to white men, of course there would be an uproar, but they don't have to do that for a reason, <laughs> they don't have to because white males are already getting plenty of venture capital out there. That's that's the that's the part that you know seems to be overlooked here or is is being overlooked. Well, you know what's interesting is since I posted this article, people have been mobilizing in my comments on LinkedIn and someone pointed out something which is that the US Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has something called systemic enforcement and I'm on their website. And basically, it says the EEOC uses administrative and litigation mechanisms to identify and pursue discriminatory policies and practices that the EEOC identifies as systemic. And people were wondering, well, since this lawsuit has come about, people now are are looking at the policies that the government has in terms of what else can venture be liable for. And I reached out to the EEOC to see, would this systemic enforcement, would venture fall under that? They haven't responded yet. But it's interesting now how a lot of people are starting to kind of put venture within policy here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Mm, I wonder, not not to be a downer, but I'm skeptical of how much ability we're going to have at the federal level to change the rules and policies around investing rules and criteria. I mean, we haven't managed to, for example, tax carried interest as income because every time we do that, up go the placards and the shovels and the pitchforks. And that would be a relatively reasonable change to the tax code that would stop giving wealthy investors a a tax advantage for doing their day job. And we can't even get that done. But no matter how pessimistic I am about changes to investing rules and regulations here in the United States, that does not mean that around the world, the situation is always exactly the same. So we're going to talk about the UK and what they may or may not be up to. But before we do that, we have to take a very short break. So I'm dispirited by all this, but Dom, there are some countries that are taking a more active approach. And you also wrote a piece about how the UK is making some noise about some things that might actually be quite positive. So can you give us a quick rundown about what you saw in the UK as it relates to kind of DEI policy and venture? Yeah, it's really interesting. The UK Treasury Select Committee, which basically is the equivalent of our House Finance Service Committee, one of our finance committees, we have like two of them that kind of do what their one thing does. 
Their UK Treasury Select Committee released a diversity report or a report dissecting diversity within the venture ecosystem, which I was like, oh my gosh, that's really, really interesting. And so basically it was them admitting that their landscape had problems and was not necessarily like discriminatory, but there were issues going on and women and black individuals are not receiving money. And it did this extraordinary thing, which I did not expect to see. It recommended ways for the government to fix it. And I was like, oh, okay. Some of the things that they proposed include teaming up with the British Business Bank and creating a fund to help, you know, overlooked communities, just like they have for different regions. Mm -hmm. And also looking at their own tax reliefs and saying like, hey, you know, tax reliefs are use of public funds. And so if you're taking this public money, we should be able to see who you're giving you know, your VC dollars to Mm. and making sure that it's deployed fairly. And so I started thinking. That makes sense. I know, right? I was was sitting there thinking and I was like, I just didn't expect the UK to release this report and come out with Mm -hmm. all of these things. And so I was thinking of what this could mean. It was funny because I was working on this before the Fearless Fund lawsuit. And I was like, what can policy look like here in the U.S.? Because last year I spoke to Representative Emanuel Cleaver from Missouri, and he was trying to pass something to make uh, university endowments more transparent. And so I was like, that was interesting. And we also have like a few states like California that are passing individual legislators more so about like workplace and stuff. But this report was kind of actual policy from the government. And so I was talking to people in the U.S. ecosystem, and they brought up similar things in terms of putting rules around tax reliefs. And I spoke to one woman who works in D.C., and she spoke about how the government should look at addressing the pipeline of venture talent more. A few people brought up, like, the rules that the SEC has in terms of who can be an investor and kind mm-hmm. of adjusting that. I believe right now you have to make more than, you have to make, like, 200000 and you have to have a net worth of a million dollars, which, of course, is... To be accredited, right? Is that what it is? Yeah. To be an accredited investor? Yeah. I mean, they brought up a lot of good things. And as soon as I write this, you know, this lawsuit breaks and I'm like, it's very, very clear that anything that, I mean, people in the U.S. also really like the idea of one of our government banks teaming up with someone or another bank and having a fund for overlooked founders. It was very clear that all of these suggestions that people in the U.S. suggested were kind of open to lawsuits now, now that the Fearless Fund case is broken. It's like, we can't have, you know, what the UK suggested in terms of just create a bank that targets these communities. We can't have that now. It's it's open to a lawsuit. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, yeah, if that initiative tried to, if someone tried to do that or push for that here, it would probably be met with so much opposition. Sure, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, it would never actually, the chances of it really becoming a reality are probably very small. Yeah, that's why, you know, when I think about this particular set of things, I don't look to the government to fix it just because I'm not optimistic that Congress can do anything right now. Mm -hmm. I I just, I think, I mean, getting on my soapbox, gerrymandering has led to more extreme members of Congress and therefore less ability to work together and therefore less ability to do things. So I don't think anything that would be this, and sad to say controversial, could pull off. So the question then for me becomes, what can people do around this to try to make the venture scene more equitable. And then I just get kind of sad because that's always been an option, but it hasn't been one that has been, you know, taken advantage of at scale because if it had been, then we would see different numbers. Yeah. I mean, I think I saw in our notes, California had filed a bill that would force investors and firms to be more transparent about where and to whom they allocate capital. But where is that? What happened with that? 
oh, these things have to pass. See, it's it's the same thing with Emmanuel, Representative Emanuel Cleaver. I asked for an update on the legislation and they just teamed up with Cory Booker to try to get it through again. But it's like you can propose all these things. I mean, I guess also the same in the UK. You can propose a lot, but it has to pass. Yeah, and uh-huh. I, I would say the chance of that passing in the House in its current makeup is uh, what, negative 5%? Yeah, that's, it's Give low. Give or take. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Cory Booker, but like that's that doesn't solve the House issue. And this is why, I mean, on one hand, this is how democracy should function. It's good to have competing views. On the other hand, sometimes you're like, holy shit, we can't do this? This is the thing we can't do? Gets a little depressing. And I'm a little bit sad to cede progress here to the UK, which is not exactly a, the most lefty of, of European yeah, nations, you I might know. say. I was thinking about that too. I was like, not me giving props to where props is due right now because I was like, wow, especially with the makeup of their own government. Yeah. It's like, even this, even they can sit here and say, like, this is problems. Like, problems are right. happening. And we should do something about it. The people who elected Boris Johnson are saying, hey, maybe this is not so good. Yes. <laughs> and here in the United States, we're going, no, we need to sue... <laughs> The small fund that is trying to allocate small amounts of capital to to black women. That's the target that we should go after. I mean, I have a question now. Fearless Fund could amend, I guess, the language around this grant to say, okay, this grant program will award the capital to a female small business owner. Is that kind of the goal here where it's just going to be opened up broadly to women, like all women small business owners? Uh, Well, you know, what's interesting about that is I think a lot of people are also thinking in terms of women only, right? Like, Mm -hmm. could could someone sue on that? I was going to challenge that, too. I mean, when I spoke to the legal experts, they were saying that what either has to happen is, of course, they get rid of the grant or they have to amend the language, get rid of it, and just maybe they can still focus on it or black women, but then have a little bit of money aside for other races. They're just going to have to change the language of that grant I mean, they could open it up, but then that's kind of, I mean, that's their decision, but. but this is playing a game, right? I yeah. feel like it's playing a game. Like we're, you know, okay, so now you have to do how the, these other big firms do type thing. It's like kind of just forcing this fun to, yeah, kind of essentially play this game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of what Rep Cleaver told me when I spoke to him in terms of how we've been able to desegregate most things except economics. And so basically this fund would have to play the venture game, but do it in reverse, basically. I feel like they're being penalized for their transparency. Yeah. 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 That's totally valid. The cool thing, I think I managed to find a little silver lining here, is that if Fearless Fund removed the language of who it's going to look to fund and then funded those people anyways, and then someone complained about that and said, you're only funding black women, that feels discriminatory, and then sued them, well, we could then counter sue. Yes. <laughs> they have no basis. Right. Because we could do the same to 50 million other venture firms, right? Yes, literally all of the other ones. Yeah, that would, now that would open <laughs> an interesting can of worms. And that's what a lot of people who are mobilizing in my comments are talking about, because they're like, oh, I guess we could just sue all these other guys then, because they're doing the same thing. And I guess... Maybe there is a case for it, right? If you could get the funding, if you could just see who who these VC firms are funding and you could pair it with the data, maybe there is an argument. Someone would have to take the chance, though. Yeah. Well, we will have more on this when the lawsuit does shake out. I think Fearless Fund Dom is not commenting yet on their response to the suit. Yes, I am in contact with their team. They told me that they are taking a few days to think of a statement and that they will come with something soon. 
Yeah. So we'll have more on that when it happens. I mean, this is a story that cuts to the heart of the startup world, the venture capital world, and who gets to build and who gets to prosper in a way. So more to come on this. Dom, as always, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you on the great wide internet? Oh my goodness. Follow me on Twitter. Add me on LinkedIn. X. Or X. Sorry. Oops. (laughs) Yeah. And what is your X handle? Uh, Name on X. Dominic Midori. And add me on LinkedIn too. And you know what? Follow me on Instagram. I need some followers. (laughs) (laughs) So the Instagram thing's funny because when everyone joins threads, um, it's tied to your Instagram account. And I only had a burner Instagram account that had zero followers because I only used to track music. And then everyone's like, why don't you have any followers? And I'm like, I feel unpopular. (laughs) Marianne? I'll have to ask you about that later because I'm still hesitant to get on threads because I don't want to, I don't want to like mix my personal and business world. So anyway, that's a whole other discussion. I don't think you have to be on threads. Okay. I think if you're on what was formerly known as Twitter and Blue Sky and LinkedIn and email and Slack (laughs) and SMS and FaceTime and iMessage, you're probably sufficiently reachable, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Speaking of being reachable, so is Equity. We are on X and we are also on Threads, ironically enough, under Equity Pod and Blue Sky under the handle Equity. And of course, the show is back on Friday and we are gearing up for our kickoff at Disrupt. We are working on our guest host. It's going to be a blast. So if you're coming to Disrupt, make sure to come early on day one because the Equity team is once again kicking off the whole thing. Yes. Yes. So if you want to see me wearing makeup, that's where to be. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it covers up at least part of my wrinkles. Oh, and Dom, I'm so sorry. You're here and you're opening up day three with Found. Yes, we are. I was actually going to try to plug us in. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yes, we have Found. We're going to interview someone so amazing, Windows Snyder. So awesome. That's going to be amazing. And then just because, shit, if we're going to do this, let's do the whole thing. I think Chain Reaction is going to be uh, opening day two. So if you like podcasts, we're going to have a good run of them. And of course, the usual disrupt battlefield speakers, panels, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be an absolute blast, but I'm a podcast boy at heart. So that's what I'm the most excited about. Okay. Thank you all very much. We're back on Friday with your news roundup. Until then, keep listening to Equity because it makes me look good inside the company. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Equity is hosted by myself, editor-in-chief of TechCrunch Plus, Alex Wilhelm, and TechCrunch senior reporter, Mary Ann Azevedo. We are produced by Teresa Loconsolo with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, and a big thank you to the audience development team and Henry Picavet, who manages TechCrunch Audio Products. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. 